Let us pray and then we'll get into today's passage. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to be with us, to enlighten us, to encourage us. Heavenly Father, we, we come humbly in your presence. As your children gather together, worshiping your name, in form of song, now the preaching of your word. But the most important tool is our hearts. That's what we want to pour out to you, our hearts. Even though we've been battered throughout the week, we have sinned against you. Surely we have. But we know we have a good Lord, a good shepherd, that we are able to come to the throne of grace and ask forgiveness and mercy. And that you are a good shepherd, our Lord, our Savior. Holy Spirit of God, be with us this morning as we preach today's word. Lord, no passage in Scripture is without importance. It's important. Everything that you say is important. So just keep us attentive to your word today. Lead us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we continue our passage in the book of James. We made it to chapter 2. Would you believe that? Yes, we have. And now, let me give you a little recap what we've learned so far, James, uh, we've learned that trials are a part of our lives, that we ought to live it with joy. We also learned that God is not the author of temptation, but that He does bring about trials, not for our destruction or affliction, but to ultimately make us more like Christ. We've also covered the importance of God's Word and what it does in our lives, and that we must be quick to listen slow to teach, and come to the Word with humility to allow the power of God through, through it to transform our lives. Now today we find ourselves in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And this is an interesting passage. You know, it's almost as if James changes thoughts. Last, last time we remember we were talking about God's Word. That was the context. And all of a sudden today, as we will read, man, he just makes a U-turn. And I'm, I'm one of those that when I go to Scripture, I want to know why. James, why? Why have you done this? And the secret to it is in verse, the last verse, 27 of chapter 1. We need to read that first to get a little bit of context. He said, remember, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. First, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Highlight that because that's, that's it. That's what's coming. Keep ourselves unstained from the world. Then we'll understand what James is about to say. The world believes in a value system, doesn't it? Especially in Western culture, we measure people's value based on their success. Our culture dictates the value of people based on what you look like, what you wear, what car you drive. That's very Miami. How big of a home you own and how fast you climb up the corporate world. That's the world. Now, this is not a new concept. We see that James, being the pastor that he was, he was deeply concerned that this value system in the world was pouring out or bleeding in to the economy of believers. And he is about to attack that. Go straight on. 
So, as we allude, chapter 1, verse 27 will give us our context. Because to be abstained from the world, you know what it is? It's to love people. Not to be partial. Not to show favoritism. And that's exactly what we're going to see next. The word partiality used in verse 1 in, in Greek means literally to accept a face. An external face for what you're looking at. In other words, to make an un unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than the other. To show favoritism. To be partial. In modern dictionaries, it means to make a judgment concerning someone upon a superficial basis and then acting towards that person as though the judgment were valid. Amen? Today we will deal with the sin of partiality. Now I know that's a subject that we don't touch much. We don't go over much in church. We live in Miami. We have, we, if I look at you, we, have, we see many uh, skin tones, blacks, white. So we are a melting pot. But we show partiality in many other ways. Not just racism. Showing in many. And James is going to touch on those. I've titled this mes message, Mercy, I think it's going to be on the screens, Mercy Triumphs. Over judgment. There are four points this morning. Number one, we're going to see in verse one an imperative command. Number two, we're going to see an example or an illustration. Number three, we're going to see the violation. And number four, we're going to see the heart of mercy. So let's get to it. Point number one. James starts with the passage with an imperative command. As he usually does. He's straightforward. He's not one to waste words. James goes and says, We are not to be partial. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Let's stop there. He says, Don't do it. But on what basis? Well, first, on the basis of our faith, and second, on the basis on the character of God. Just right there, we should close our Bibles and go home. That's it. But no, stick around. First, we see that we're not to be partial or show favoritism or be prejudiced or judgmental on outward appearances, not because we are to be self-righteous or out of a good will, but because the commandment is centered directly out of, the good, uh, out of God's character. He says we ought to be impartial because as we hold to the faith, so which faith? Well, the faith in Christ, which is was the faith that the faith that was impartial towards us. Because God did not show any partiality towards us. At the cross, we had all equal footing. Sinners, wicked, you name it. You could have been rich, poor, but all at the same time level well he says Romans 2 11 says this and this is the character of God for God shows no partiality wow he says when we look upon someone and make a judgment based on their background their wealth or their political views whether to demean or exalt them is a straight violation to the Savior. 
to his character. Because in Christ, like I said before, we have equal footing. That's what we do when we show favoritism or partiality. We either make ourselves better than others or we show our weaknesses almost to satisfy our conscience, don't we? Instead, the heart of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ is the heart of humility. It is the heart that always puts others above oneself. If anything, we must emulate or imitate the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said it. Have this in mind amongst you, brothers, which is, is yours in Christ, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. That is the heart of our Lord. And that is the heart of every true believer. Humble man or woman of God who is always looking to put others above themselves. John MacArthur said this. It's not going to be in your screens. We tend to put everyone in some kind of stratified category, higher or lower than others. It has to do with their looks. It has to do with their wardrobe. It has to do with the kind of car they drive, the kind of house they live in. Sometimes it has to do with their race, sometimes with their social status, sometimes outward characteristics of personality. All those things with God are non-issues. They are of no significance at all. They mean absolutely nothing to Him. So I love that James starts with Jesus always. Points us back to Jesus. His character ought to determine the way we live, the way we understand, the way we live the gospel. He's the cornerstone, not us. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of, the God of all gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take bribe. I love how he exalts God and he says, but wait, there's more. He is impartial. God does not see the exterior. If anything, he sees the heart. That is the character of God. Everything that Christ is or desires, we ought to desire and be. We ought to feel as he feels. Want as he wants. Because as Paul puts it, we possess the mind of Christ. Let us not forget that. And that's what James wants to, wants to make sure. If you're a genuine believer, you're being transformed. There's a new mind in you. The old ways have passed away. And if we continue dictating our lives and judging others based on the world's value system, man, we're getting it wrong. Not only that, we're making the gospel a different gospel. Well, how can you say that, Dayron? Because that's what the gospel is centered all about. It's not about us. It's not about men, how they look like. Christ did not look at men and how they look like. In Christ, there's no Jew, there's no barbarian, there's no Gentile. There are only believers and not believers. So that's the heart of James. 
you're partial, you're judgmental, you are prejudiced, you change the gospel. Partiality, favoritism is a great hindrance to the gospel. I've caught myself at times not preaching the gospel on the basis of what a person looks like. I've done that. I've been there. Maybe I see a gangbanger and I go, nah, 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 that guy. That guy's not going nah, to get the, the, the message. Nah, he won't. His heart is too hard. When do we, we become judges? That's what James is saying. And he will say it comes out of an evil thought, James says. Don't dis- put a distinction of man because Christ doesn't. 1 Samuel 16, 7, as my brother Alex, uh, I got it wrong this morning. I, I actually uh, had 16, 17. He said, man, you got it wrong. Thank you for overlooking that. He says, man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Thank God that he looks at the heart and not what I look like. And because he looks at the heart and not the outward, we shouldn't either. We follow our Lord in every way. And James makes sure to point us back to our faith. Is there even an ounce of prejudice in our hearts? And there probably is because we're not perfect. Because we're all sinners and we still play favorites amongst ourselves. We should repent and bring it to the Lord. Today, let it be a reminder that people out there are in need of a Savior, just as we are. There are people, if God would open these spiritual eyes and see what's going on out there, the field is ready and there's few servants because we ourselves are very partial. We love our reform, our reform brothers and how they dress and have their, their nice suits and, and maybe a Christian ought to dress this way and talk that way. Maybe where someone has tattoos, oh no, not that guy, that guy is far too gone. That's not the heart of Christ. All through the Gospels we see what? Christ seeking the lost the lowly, the sinner. Zacchaeus, calm down for today. You're going to dine with me. And guess what? His whole, household, his whole household was saved. What about the Samaritan woman? John 4. The least of least. It was the first time Jesus revealed himself as Messiah. That is the heart. Point number two, the example and the illustration. I think, brothers, forgive me, I forgot to read the passage. So let me read the example from verses 2 to 7. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down here at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, and this ought to be for us. Listen, our beloved brothers, has not God chosen 
those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored, he says, the poor man. Are not, that, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James immediately jumps into an example. Because this is what's happening. Remember, he's talking about people that were scattering amongst the Greeks and the Roman Empire. And the Jews were now, you know, uh, planting churches. And we see, obviously, a distinction. You have the, the rich, the Greeks were fairly rich, educated. And so this is something that he wanted to make sure that didn't happen in churches. The rich man comes in and says, oh, please come in. Get the front seats. Maybe out of, I'll gain something from you. Maybe your tithing is better and you sustain our light bill. And maybe, just maybe, you give me enough money to build a building, a church for a congregation. But the poor man, no, you sit in the back row. That's what he's saying. It's just an example. Because he goes deeper. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. James understands that partiality or favoritism within the church is a great deterrent to spiritual growth. It is a cause of great division and not love. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, says Christ, if you love one another. Partiality and love are separate, separate to each other. Not to be mixed in. So James uses the example or an illustration. He gives us an image of this poor man, this rich man, and how we make distinctions out of people. We all might have been, like I said before, guilty of making outward distinctions, especially in wealth. I work in a bank, and I have something that I've learned. You know, when I, see so, when I used to see someone in a suit, smelling great, great perfume, man, that guy has money. But if something teaches you in Miami, at least, is that it could be quite the opposite. You could be dressed in a suit and have, have your account overdrawn. You could be driving a, a Lamborghini, a uh, Mercedes-Benz, and... You might be living with your parents still in, in a room and not, you know, your parents pay for everything. So this still happens today. So I've learned to not make that mistake. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe you've been invited by a brother's house to a, to a brother's house which doesn't look maybe as appealing to, to someone else's. You just don't want to go there because they, they don't have much to offer. Maybe their, their meal is not as a tasting and we just don't congregate with our brother or sister that is exactly what James is talking about it doesn't matter if you have an apartment or a big house with the patio or the garden we congregate with all we make relationships with all he says in verse 4 when, while, when doing this 
Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil thoughts. James doesn't miss a beat. He acknowledges that assuming something or some or about someone by their appearance, what they own, what they wear, what they look like, is an evil thought. It comes out of a sinful nature and we ought to repent. Maybe the world makes a distinction based on the resume or college degree you make, although today a college degree is pretty much, pretty much worthless at times. But we see people with doctorates and we see people with masters and we see them with bachelor's degree and all of a sudden we open our eyes as if these people are something special. The gospel is countercultural. We serve a God that doesn't bow down to money nor the intellect. He's not impressed by the nice suit you wear, how eloquent you speak, or, or maybe how your portfolio is about how awesome you know the market. We serve a God who says to a king, worthless one, and to nobles, wicked man. And it says, who shows no partialities to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all works of his hands. And when we make distinctions of man, we violate the image of God, the image bearer that is in every single man and woman in this planet. James says, don't be easily impressed by worldly possessions. But by doing this, you have dishonored the poor man. Check this out. Let, notice that James doesn't reprimand the congregation by treating the rich man well. He doesn't do that. What he's saying, how is it that you're treating this person well and the poor man, you're putting him aside? No, we ought to, in a way, we have to treat the poor man the rich man, the black man, the white man, the Hispanic, the, the immigrant, the same way. We open the doors to all. If anything, you're an immigrant. Come, come, have a seat. What an opportunity for the gospel. And even more so, you are making a distinction between believers, and that is, oof. remember that Christ spilled the blood for believers. And when we make, make distinctions of Jews, of, of Gentiles, or barbarians, of Cubans, Dominicans, Americans, my beloved brother, he didn't die for the title Cubans, uh, Mexicans, he died for wicked people that need help. Because at the end of days, what will happen? All tongues, people from all nations. And I could picture Africans dancing and, 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 and jumping in their own culture and tongue, maybe with drums, but they're all worshiping God, worshiping the King. We are all the same in that sense, brothers and sisters, under one Father, James says. God will judge all the peoples with equity, not based on their looks, 
what they own. No one could buy God at the end of the days when we're His presence. Lord, but I amounted wealth. What can I give you so that you could you know, give me entrance to your kingdom? That would not happen. But Lord, I was part of the princes of the earth. I, I, I was... Uh, valued. I was looked at as if I was a king and I was, I, I, I was respectable. And God says, I don't care. You look at my son at the cross. That's, that's what matters. Then James makes another appeal. He says that typically the rich are the ones who blaspheme God and generally that's, that's what happens. And throughout history, Rich people tend to blaspheme God. They make gods unto themselves. That's what riches and wealth does. But I love that God is also the God of the rich, isn't He? He is. What's impossible for man, it's very possible for God. So He's saying, don't treat others because they're wealth. Thinking that maybe you... you, you earn something or gain something from them. As a matter of fact, you gain more from the poor man. You gain humility. You would have gained a brother. You would have shown love and mercy. In Miami, we have a, a great opportunity. Probably the most of the country, but mostly Miami. We see that immigration problem in the border, and, and I know I hear the conversations at work. You know, I work in a very affluent area, Coral Gables, and you would believe that those affluent, oh, man, the immigrants are coming, and they're taking the jobs and the resources. Man, look at the traffic, and look at this and that, and sometimes we fall victim, victim into that. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you know. We, we were too full, mammy. There's nowhere to build. You know, we have the everything, and this is crazy. I drive three hours. But what if we take off our... Now mind, our material thinking, our, our earthly think, thinking, and think about the gospel. Thousands, of, thousands upon thousands are coming in. Yes, they're in need. They're in need of clothing, better job, health care. But the greatest, the greatest need is Christ and the gospel. And we're children of truth. We have the truth. And we sometimes reserve ourselves. No, they're not, they're not worthy. They're not on my level. They haven't gotten there. James calls that evil thinking, evil thoughts, sin. Point number three. The violation. Verses 8 to 11. And I'll read. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, he says. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. What a great reminder for us theologians who love to 
oh, talk about the law, and then we love grace, but we don't show enough grace. That's what he's saying. Oh, you love your theology. You, you pompous. You, oh man, you're self-righteous. But all of a sudden, when it's time to practice grace and mercy, man, oh no, oh no. I, I, I can't go to that house. I can't congregate with that brother. Oh, sinner. So James continues to a theological argument as to what partiality is. We see that partiality hinders evangelism and the great economy of the community of Christ. It is inconceivable that a Christian is practicing prejudice or favoritism in the church or even outside it. Now he goes further. James takes apart the sin because this is what it is, a sin. But if you show partiality, he says favoritism, Prejudice, discrimination, you are committing sin. First, because it's a direct violation to God's character. We already saw that. But second, it's a violation to the gospel and the work, complete work and re- of re- redemption in Christ Jesus. It is also a direct violation to the royal law, to the Mosaic law. We, we tend to separate them, right? Well, God has changed. See, the, 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 the Mosaic law is different to the, the law of grace. But it really is not. We look into Numbers 12 when uh, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were arguing with him because he had married a Cushite woman, typically darker skin. And what happened? God gave Miriam leprosy. He He never tolerated partiality. Now, I know that we are not bound to the law of Moses. We are now in the new law of freedom or liberty, which is in Christ, the law of grace. But nonetheless, we strive to fulfill the law. Not because in it we are saved, nor do we find self-righteousness, but because we are fulfilling the law. We are, when fulfilling the law, we are being more like Christ. We're representing his character, who he is. And consequently, we show the world light, not darkness. Also, it is important to note that partiality or favoritism, racism, prejudice, based on an outward appearance, is a violation to the second most important commandment of all. You shall love your neighbor as yourself commandment. If we love others to the same degree that we love ourselves, then we wouldn't hurt others. Let's be real. We demand people's respect and honor, and, but do we do the same back? John said, Beloved, let us, not, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's the point. We could go and read James all we want. We could put it upside down and give it a theological uh, uh, you know, balancing act. No, it's about love. We abstain from the world when we love because the world does not love. 
Not really. Now, not how God loves. Impartiality is also very dangerous because it is one of those sins that creep up even when you're not paying attention. We do it automatically. It is ingrained in our culture or, or background. And I love how James puts a serious note in this. He puts a pause in a theological argument and he says, no, wait a minute. I need to explain this is important because this is about the gospel itself. And if we don't get this right, the gospel is going to be tarnished. People are not going to be saved. Because the gospel is about love. It is. He says that the great danger is that when you judge and you show partiality, you become judges. You know what's worst? You take God's place as supreme judge. We create our own law when we judge others based on their outward appearance, what they wear, what they own. We've created our own system of value, whereas God has created a system of grace and love. We're going against the very nature of God himself. Remember Peter in Acts 10, when he went and preached the gospel to Cornelius and his family. A different culture, perhaps different skin color, perhaps traditional language. They too embraced Christ as Lord and Savior. And what did Peter say? Truly now, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who fears Him and does what is right, it, it is acceptable to Him. Peter too fell victim to the world system of performance and favoritism. He did. He didn't want to go there. It's like, nah, why? No, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The gospel's for the Jews. He had it wrong. God says, no, Peter, what are you talking about? He soon realizes that God abounds in mercy, and that, precisely that, is the weapon against such sin. And that leads me to my fourth point, the heart of mercy. Let me read verses 12 to 13. He says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, and that's where I got my title this morning. He makes an appeal to the believer who is fighting this vicious cycle of sin or partiality. He makes an appeal to all believers who have shown favoritism. And I believe that we've all been there some way or another. We've all been prejudiced. We've all been. And I believe that, as you know, so to speak, we, we, it, like I said, it creeps in. It's a sin that if we don't really pay attention to it, it comes out automatically. It comes naturally. And there, therefore, he says, pay attention to it. This is a simple yet profound reminder of who we are prior to our meeting with our Lord. He says, speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. This is where we're under right now. The law of grace. 
James admonishes the believer who act, to act and to work out their salvation based on the saving grace, which is, impu- it is the imputed righteousness of Christ in you. In other words, you have passed from the law of bondage to the law of liberty. You have been freed to work out your salvation from the bondage of the Mosaic law. You've tasted the sweet mercy of God through Christ Jesus. Don't you remember that? So then, you are doers of the law of liberty. The same mercy and grace granted to you. You Now you're free. Free to work out mercy and love towards others. A Christian cannot be without mercy. There is no blessing in that, in judgment. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. Making distinctions of man is a contradiction to the law of liberty. If the gospel has truly made you into a new creation, you cannot be without mercy. Partiality cannot be in your hearts. It's a strict violation to the image bearer of God when you do so. And I said that before. The gospel, the law of liberty, invites all sorts of men, smart men, dumb men, good-looking swords. By the way, That'll go away. Ugly folk, tall men, short men, to the knowledge of Christ at the cross. The gospel is the great leveler of men. Because in the gospel there is no more, no one more special than the other. So when you come to this congregation, or to your workplace or school, where, wherever the Lord leads you, remember to be a giver of mercy. Mercy is what we see at the cross. While we were all what sinners, Christ died for us. At the cross, we were all helpless. Our wits, our smarts could not save us. Our possession could not buy us redemption. Our fading good looks could not impress a holy God. Our athletics could not move the hand of God to favor us. Only in that we were all sinners and Christ died for us. That is where we find redemption. That is mercy. And that is love impartial. So as a genuine believer, when your judgment time comes and you've worked out mercy unto others, God will show mercy unto you because your mercy will testify your saving faith. It will be true in your case that mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we preach your word. Simple message of love, mercy, grace. Lord, I hope that the gospel was exalted. Christ was proclaimed. Lord, if we are ourselves to show favoritism or sin in this way, being partial towards others, Lord, would you admonish, that, admonish us, show us our sin, Lord, We pray that you come now and save us from from that sin, Lord. Clean our hearts. May we show love. May we deeply in love with the gospel. Share the gospel. Make disciples, Lord. No matter their creed, no matter 
their skin color, their language, their ethnicity, their social status, Lord. Come now and show us love, love impartial, the same love that you've shown us, the same mercy and grace that now we possess in Christ Jesus. All of this we pray, Lord, in your name. Amen.